this is Dana Gardner, Principal Analyst at InterArbor Solutions, and you're listening to Briefings Direct. Our next healthcare finance insights discussion explores the impacts from increased cost transparency for medical services. The recent required publishing of hospital charges for medical procedures is but one example of rapid regulatory and market change. The emergence of more data about costs across the health provider market could actually be a major step towards educated choices and ultimately more efficiency and lower total expenditures. But early-stage cost transparency also runs the risk of out-of-control and out-of-context information that offers little actionable insight into consumer costs and obligations. And unfiltered information requirements also place new burdens on physicians, caregivers, and providers in areas that have more to do with economics than healthcare. To learn more about the pluses and minuses of increased cost transparency in the healthcare sector, we're joined by an expert panel. Please join me in welcoming Heather Kawamoto, Chief Product Officer at Rakondo Technology in Denver. Joanne Barnes-Legg, Revenue Cycle Director at Shields Healthcare Group in Quincy, Massachusetts. Julie Gerderman, President at HealthPay24 in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Beth Jones Sanborn, Managing Editor at Healthcare Finance News, Hims Media in Portland, Maine. And Elena Harrison, Senior Director of PBM Innovation at CVS Health in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Welcome to you all. For better or worse, uh, we're well into this era now of new transparency about medical costs. Heather, why is transparency such a hot issue right now? I think it's largely due to the cost shift that we're seeing that uh, insurance companies are starting to have the patient owe more of that portion. And with that, there's been a significant rise in the high deductible health plans, not only in the amount of the deductible, but also in the number of patients that are on high deductible plans. And with that, when a patient gets, sadly, a surprise bill, then we start to hear about it in the media or even with the publication of the CMS IPPS final rule. The New York Times did a story this week about it, and that's really what creates the buzz. And then, um, you know, people then start saying, hey, I know I have a service coming up. I probably need to call in and actually find out how much my service is going to be. It seems like the consumer, the patient, needs to be far more proactive in thinking about their care, not just in terms of, oh, how do I get better or how do I stay as healthy as I can, but how do I pay for this in the best possible way? That wasn't the case that long ago. You would go and you would get care and you didn't give it much thought. What's changed, uh, Joanne, from your perspective as somebody who provides care that has made it so necessary for patients to be proactive about the economics? just the consumer-driven health plans where patients are now responsible for more. They have more, and now they have to make a, a decision. Do I buy my groceries? Do I have an MRI? So I think just the shift in health care and just making us go after the patient before insurance is paid 100%. Now the patients have a, a lot of skin in the game, and they have to start thinking, do I really need this procedure or can it wait? And we get this a lot from uh, other parts of our lives now. We have so much more information available to us when we buy groceries. We do it online. We can compare and contrast. We can comparative shop. We can even get some sort of analysis brought to the table about you want to buy meat this week and you want to buy eggs next week because of blank. Julie, you know, given that you all are trying to bring more information and help people make paying decisions, why is this a good time 
uh, if we have to go to transparency for a number of reasons, for technology to be a bigger part of it. Yeah, I think it's actually a tremendous opportunity for technology to help the patients and the providers. We live in an experience economy, and in that economy, everyone is used to having full transparency. So we pay for faster service, faster delivery. We actually have on-demand video platforms. We have highly personalized experiences. All of that should actually be the same in our healthcare experiences. And that's what people have come to expect. And that's why for us, it's so important to provide personalized, consumer-friendly digital payment options. Beth, you had a thought about why transparency is important? You know, as someone who's watching these trends happen unfold from from a journalism standpoint, I think, you know, along the lines of the high deductible health plans, there's been data that's come out that says the average American household can't afford a $500 medical bill. A $500 medical bill would drastically impact that household's finances for possibly months at a time. And so people are looking more and more to understand up front what they're going to owe. And at the same time, I think patients are really growing tired of the back and forth between the provider and the payer. Everyone kicking the can back and forth between them saying, well, I don't know that your provider should know that. And the provider says, well, your health plan is the one that arbitrates the price of your care. Why don't you go ask them? And patients are getting really, really tired of that. And so now it's just now they've got the bullhorn and they're saying, I don't care whose responsibility is to inform me. Someone needs to inform me, and I want it now. And in a consumer-driven healthcare space, which is really what's evolving now, that retail-like experience, consumers can go where they're going to get that experience. That's why we're seeing the rise in urgent care centers, walking clinics, places where they don't have to wait, places where they can book an appointment on their phone and go to the appointment 20 minutes later. Patients have the opportunity to pick where they get their care, and they know it. And at the same time, they know that they can demand transparency because it's time. So transparency can be a force for good. It can help people make better decisions. Better decisions can be more efficient. More efficient drives costs down. But also transparency can put too much information in front of people, perhaps at a time when they're not really in a mindset to absorb it. What at CVS are you doing, Elena, to help people make better decisions but not overload them too? The key to good transparency tools is, first of all, the table stakes is that they have to be 100% accurate. Secondly, they have to be clear and actionable and relevant to the patient. So if we gave them 10 data points about the price of the drug, and there are sometimes 10 prices, depending on which way you look at it, that would overwhelm folks. It would confuse them more, and we would lose that engagement. And so providing simple, clear data that is accurate, it's actionable, it's shows them their options that are specific to their benefit plan is what we can do to help consumers navigate through this very, very complex web that we have in our healthcare system. Now, Heather, at Recondo, you're helping people create and deliver estimates throughout the process. How does that help in providing the right information at the right time in the right context? It's critical to do that when the patient's actually scheduling their service because that gives them the opportunity, if there is a financial question or concern, to be able to say, okay, I I don't know that I can pay for that. Is there another location where the price might be different? Or what are my financial options in terms of a payment plan or some sort of assistance? So I think that the point at which they're actually scheduling their service, having the provider, enabling the provider to get out and actually proactively communicate that to them, but then also... Even in advance of that, giving patients an opportunity to shop, if they know they're going to be going in, 
meeting with an orthopedic surgeon because they're going to need a knee arthroscopy. In advance of that, being able to get some idea of what they're going to owe relative to their specific benefit information puts them in that position to engage with the orthopedic surgeon to say, you know, I looked at the facility and it's actually going to be, you know, $3,000. What are my options? Um, again, so that that provider can be a piece of that uh, discussion, I think is, is critical. Just a little bit to that. I think as providers, we have to be okay with patients making that decision of saying, maybe I won't have that service now. That's consumer driven. And sometimes that hurts our volume. But I think we had a hard time understanding that in the beginning where we shared the estimate, now they won't come. Would you rather trick them and have bad debt? So I think it's kind of that whole thing of be comfortable with the patient making that educated decision. They'll come back for your MRI in December when their deductibles are met and they can afford it. Thank you, Joanne. Now, it seems to me that part of that solution is going to be getting the physician or the practitioner educated enough to help the patients sort out a little bit of the finance as well as the care and the medical treatments. As someone who has a lot of clinicians and technicians and physicians, are they not the maybe primary directive for the transparency before it gets to the patient? That would be the ideal solution is to have the physicians that are referring these very expensive services to ha- start having that conversation. Often patients just, you know, they're kind of robotic with what their doctors tell them and where to tell them. You have a choice. You have a choice to make phone calls. You have a choice to start doing your own price shopping. So we would love if pay, if referring physicians started having that price transparency conversation early right in their office. So the dual major, economics and pre-med. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, Julie, your background is in technology, and you and I both know that there are lots of occupations where people have complex decisions to make and they have consumers that have to be given trust and accommodation to make good decisions. And lo and behold, whether you're a purchasing agent or a chief executive or a chief marketing officer, there are tools and there is data and there have been great strides made in solving some of these problems. Is that what we're going to see applied to these medical decisions across the spectrum of payer, provider, patient? Absolutely. I I believe that this is ripe for disruption and that technology, particularly emerging technology, can make a real difference in transparency. And uh, a lot of my colleagues here talked about trust. And to me, the reason that everybody's requiring transparency is to build trust, right? And it goes back to that trusted relationship between the provider, between the staff and the patient. And the data that's available to everyone is actually there. It's how do you present the data in a very clear, simple, actionable way for them to make decisions, for the consumer to make an informed decision and the provider to know what the consumer is facing. And that data needs to be protected and it needs to adhere to multiple regulations in multiple jurisdictions. And it's a moving target because the regulations change so often. Beth, what do we do to help this solve the data problem? Because everybody knows how to solve it. It's more data, but nobody wants to own and control the data. Yeah, and isn't that the $64,000 question? How do you own all that data and protect it at the same time when we know that healthcare is one of, if not the most attacked industry when it comes to cyber criminals, ransomware, phishing? You know, I hear all the time from experts that as much as the human element drives healthcare, as far as data and protection, it's also kind of the greatest vulnerability. Most of the attacks that you hear about happen because somebody clicked on a link in an email or left their laptop 
shop somewhere. You know, these are sort of basic human errors that have catastrophic consequences depending on who's on the receiving end of that error. So technology is, of course, a huge part of the future, but you can't let technology develop faster than the protections that have to go with it. And so any developer, any innovator who's trying to help move this space forward has to make cybersecurity a grassroots foundational part of anything that they innovate. It's not enough to say, my tool can help you do this, this, and this. You have to be able to say, well, my tool will help you do this, this, and this, and this is how we're going to protect you along the way. That has to be part of not just the conversation, but every single solution. Now, Elena, at CVS, do you see that data solution as also a major hurdle to overcome, controlling, managing, protecting the data, but also making it available every single nook and cranny that it needs to go? Absolutely, and that's always a key focus for us, and it's frankly ingrained in every single thing that we do. To give a sense of what we're putting out there, the price transparency tools that we've developed are all directly connected to our claim system, which is frankly the only way we can make sure that the patient out-of-pocket costs we're providing are 100% accurate because they're reflective of what that patient would pay as they go to their local pharmacy, but making sure that our vendor partners that we're working with, um, us as a company, have a robust and very rigorous process around security is, is paramount, and it, it takes time to do that, and that's one of the challenges we all face. So we have a lot going on with uh, new transparency regulations, more information coming out. We know that we have to make it secure. We're going to have to overcome that. It seems to me, though, if we look at to some examples, that the tools that are being developed to help solve these problems can be very impactful. They can work. Joanne at um, Shields, do you have an example of what sort of benefits can happen when you do bring the right tools to, to the problem about the transparency and making good decisions? We bring in more revenue, and we bring it in timely. So since we've implemented tools, we used to be about 60% collected on the patient side overall. We're 85% now since we put in our tool. 400% increase of our overall revenue, saved $4.5 million in denials just on eligibility, authorization, and things like that. We're bringing in more money. We don't require as much labor as we did because the automation just we're staffed around the automation now. Julie, how does that work? How does uh, getting better tools and more information help collect more money in, in a medical transaction? So it works in a couple ways. First, from a patient-facing perspective, they have access to pay whenever and wherever they are, right? And so having that access and availability is really critical. And also to be connected, so connected from an estimate that Heather talked about, right, to be able to make a decision from that, have that happen from the very beginning. And then finally, it's also around options. All of these things will drive adoption. So if you give a patient options and clarity up front, they have a choice of how to pay and they have the knowledge and that will then, that adoption drives the success. So that's why the tools, if you implement the tools appropriately, you'll see the immediate impact. The patients adopt it the staff adopts it, and then it, it drives uh, the collections that uh, Joanne's talking about. And, and Heather, we've seen in other industries where you're trying to gain efficiency and you have a decision process that once you can track behaviors and develop patterns, that incentivization can come into play. Have you seen that? And, and how are 
some incentives, perhaps uh, part of getting people to use the transparency to their benefit and then hence to the overall economic benefit. Yeah, so I think being able to communicate to patients what their anticipated out-of-pocket is, a lot of organizations have gone to means by where they say to the patient, if you pay this in advance of your service, you'll actually get a discount, which again puts uh, the patient in a, in a position where they could say, I could save $200 if I decide to pay this today. And I think that's a, a key component of it. If they know they're going to get a better cost if they pay sooner, then many of them are incented to do that. Any other thoughts about incentives, Elena? Yeah, so indirect incentive, but uh, still quite relevant. Uh, our price transparency tools are available to all of our Caremark members, and we're seeing about 230,000 searches a month on our website. And when members are searching and they're looking at the drug that they're taking today, when there are lower-cost alternative options, we see that same member end up in their next fill on one of those lower-cost drugs 20% of the time, and that's resulting in an average savings of $120 per fill per script for those patients, which doesn't sound like a huge number, but as you can imagine, over the course of months, that really starts to add up. So we come back to this whole idea of the out-of-pocket cost. The higher the deductible, the lower the premiums. People are incentivized, therefore, to go to lower premiums. But then, heaven forbid, they have an illness, then they have to start thinking about, oh my gosh, how do I best manage that deductible? In the past, We've had, I guess, more information brought to bear on problems and people have to sort through them. But nowadays, with technologies like machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data analytics, we're starting to see prescriptive or even recommendation types of technologies. How far do we need to go before we can start to bring some of the technologies about making good recommendations based on data rather than intuition or even a lack of informed decision-making, you know, how do we get to that point where we can start to be proscriptive and, you know, into a recommendation mode rather than letting people sort through this all by themselves? Anyone? So I have some thoughts on that. We at HealthPay24 actually are really looking at predictive analytics and what role the predictive capability can play in helping make recommendations for patients. So not necessarily on the clinical or pharmaceutical side, but actually can we know when a patient makes an appointment and gets an estimate what their propensity to pay will be and proactively offer them options based on what we know ahead of time so that they don't even have to worry about it, that they can just say, okay, here are my choices. I have, you know, only $500 saved, therefore I'm going to take advantage of a loan or a payment plan. And I do believe that technology will help on the artificial intelligence side. I think that's going to really, it's already starting, you know, as you talk to providers, how they're using it for repetitive processes. But I think there's even more opportunity on the cognitive side of AI to uh, play in the hospital. So there's a, there's a big opportunity. We already see this in the financial markets. People get more information. They get recommendations. There's arbitrage. It's not either or. It's really what are the circumstances? What's the credit that we can offer? You know, how do we make this the most efficient transaction? So I guess what we have to have is more comfort with economics and medical procedures. Is that part of the culture of this? Sort of the, um, the idea that you have to be a crass consumer and you also have to be looking out for your health. And maybe these were in the past sort of separate areas that never collided, but now that we're bringing them together. Uh, any thoughts about the need to be a consumer as well as a patient? 
Absolutely. I think it's critical. And to Julie's point, one thing that we're doing is we're not just putting our website out. Now we're looking through our data and finding where there are savings opportunities from patients that are legitimate and proactively making outreach to those patients. Of course, at the end of the day, the decision is always in the provider's hands, and it should be because not all of us are clinicians. I'm certainly not. But to allow patients to prompt that conversation and help drive the process so the burden isn't just on the provider is critical. All right, before we close out, let's maybe come up with a recommendation or two, but from different vantage points. How should you best prepare yourself for the transparency that is now bubbling up around procedures and payments and medical environments? First, as a provider, to you, Joanne, what do you think people should be thinking about to better prepare themselves as providers for this new era of transparency? I think culture is very important within the organization. You need to continue to talk. It's shifting. Let's talk about the burden to the provider. Now that the patients are responsible for more, there's no other product that you can purchase without paying up front and walking away. You, you can walk away from healthcare without paying for it. So the more technology you implement, the more transparency you can provide, the more conversations you can have with those patients, not only helps that patient, but you're in business for revenue. It helps bring in that revenue that you lost now that with the shift of the consumer-driven health plans. Heather is someone who provides tools to providers, among others, but let's look at this through the eyes of the provider. What should they be thinking about when it comes to a new era of transparency? Yeah, I think the big piece is while there's been tools that have been available to the provider, now I think we have to actually take that and make that tool available to the patient because while providers are, in many cases, their first line of communication to that patient, before that patient even schedules, if they're if they're in a position where they know they're going to need a service to be able to go out and be able to shelf, self-shop for that, I think that's what providers need to be thinking about is how do I even get further out into the decision-making process to engage that patient at that point, which again, as Joanne mentioned, is going to is going to build that trust, is going to ensure that revenue is coming to your particular facility. Beth, I'm going to put you in the hot seat, but you know, you're a consumer of health. We all are. What advice would you have or what do you think people who are the consumers, the patients, what should they be thinking about to take advantage of transparency? If I can, real quickly, I also just want to advocate for physicians real quick. You know, we hear all the time about change fatigue, burnout. Burnout is as hot a topic as transparency is. So if providers are now going to be put in the position of having to have financial conversations with patients, I think health system leaders need to be aware of that, make sure that providers are properly educated. What do they need to know so that they can accurately communicate with patients and understand how that's going to affect a workload that is already onerous and at times damaging to physicians. So along Joanne's comments about culture, there needs to be a culture around ushering in physicians into that role. From a consumer standpoint, as a consumer, first things first, you know, when we look at the law that just went into effect, patients need to understand what are they looking at, that the price list that the hospital is publishing is a charge master. It's that sort of naked price from a, from a hospital. That's not what they're going to pay. And so we need, to, we need to eradicate the sticker shock that I'm sure is happening at first glance. So the patient needs to be self-educating a little bit about what's net-net and what's gross when it comes to these prices. Right. And I mean, you can put it in plain terms. You know, the charge master is, this is what a hospital charges. But remember, you have insurance. There are discounts for self-pay. There could be other incentives or subsidies that you're eligible for. So please, please don't have a heart attack 
literally when you when you look at this price and go, oh my gosh, is that what I'm responsible for? So they need to be educated on what they're looking at and then understand the options that are available to them as far as what you're actually going to pay. And then the other thing is benefits literacy. Payers need to make sure that they are reaching out to their consumers and making sure that their consumers understand how their benefits work so that they can advocate for themselves. Elena, at CVS, you're sort of a provider, providing pharmaceutical services and, and goods. What advice would you have for other providers uh, about taking advantage, making the best of transparency? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think Beth hit the nail on the head with a lot of her points. We see similar regulation, this what I think of as brute force regulation happening in prescription drug space. So pharmaceutical manufacturers now need to publish their sticker price. Uh, little do most people know that aren't part of this world that sticker price is something that no one pays. Payers don't pay it. Patients certainly don't pay it. Us, the PBM, we don't pay that. Pharmacy doesn't pay it. And so it is so critical as this information is coming available to make sure that your customers, consumers, members understand what they're looking at and that you as an organization are prepared to support them through the process of navigating this additional information. And uh, lastly to you, Julie, uh, what advice do you have or what should people be thinking about on the vendor side, people that are providing these tools? Now that transparency is a necessary part of the process and the equation, more regulation to come, what should the tool providers be thinking about to help people navigate this? Yeah, I do think it comes back to experience, uh, providing a simple, clear, consumer-friendly experience in the tools because that is what's going to drive usage and adoption and that's actually what's going to drive loyalty because when you think about technology is a great way for providers to drive patient loyalty and that is where it's going to make a difference that's what you're going to engage them you're going to win hearts and minds and they're going to want to come back because they probably had a great clinical experience right they feel better they're healthier now and you want the rest of their experience financially to match that great clinical experience. So for the tools, anything we can do to be predictive and to be clear and beautiful and simple, I think will make all the difference. I'm afraid we'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to a sponsored Briefings Direct digital business innovation podcast on the emergence of more data about costs across the health provider marketplace. And we've learned about the pluses and minuses of increased cost transparency in the healthcare sector and about ways to reduce the risk of -of out-of-context information that offers little actionable insight into actual consumer costs and obligations. So please join me in thanking our panel. We've been joined here today with Heather Kawamoto, Chief Product Officer at Recondo Technology, Joanne Barnes-Legg, Revenue Cycle Director at Shields Healthcare Group, Julie Gerderman, President at HealthPay24, Beth Jones-Sanborn, Managing Editor at Healthcare Finance News, and Elena Harrison, Senior Director of PBM Innovation at CVS Health. Also, a big thank you to our audience for joining this HealthPay24 sponsored thought leadership discussion. I'm Dana Gardner, Principal Analyst at Inter Arbor Solutions, your host and moderator. Thanks again for listening and do come back next time.